I don't know why I paused like that. It was a pregnant pause. It was dramatic. Today is Tuesday, July 31st, 2018. Time for episode 57 of the Barnhart Podcast, or the first episode of Ask Ann Anything. Ann, do you have any questions for me? I'm just loving the AAA motif on this one. I'm looking forward to this. You've assured me that this is going to be fun. So I take you at your word, sir. Yes, we put out the blog post of uh, the, the show topic. Well, actually, I posted the blog post with Anne's permission uh, asking for questions. I put a, a phone number out there if you want to text in questions or, or leave a voicemail. And some of these questions came in by text. Some came by voicemail. A couple of people replied via Twitter. So it, it's... Uh, various media through which the questions came in. Uh, I think one person asked me in person because they happen to know who I am in real life. Um, Ooh. That's one Ooh. person, <laughs> one person, but uh, uh, no, it's, it's a great collection of questions here. And uh, for the sake of brevity, I have reworded some of them and uh, collected some of the, of the questions into clusters because uh, th- there were a couple of popular themes and I'm not going to mention anybody's names who asked the questions mainly because I was transcribing the questions and then forgot who asked what. Uh, but it's, it's more, it's more, we want to find out what Anne's answers are to these questions. So are you ready? I'm ready, sir. Okay. Um, like I said, there, there are some clusters and, and some themes, but we're going to start off with the, with the, uh, the one that I think is pretty fun. And I'm curious what guns you prefer and why I, I was interested in your blog post about prairie dogging, which I know what he means, but I burst out laughing when I read that. There, there's a reference in a movie about needing to go to the bathroom and prairie dogging, but I think that your reference was shooting prairie dogs. So what, what are your favorite guns? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I hate to sound pedestrian, but the most easygoing, easiest to use, fun to use, low cost, enjoyable is obviously the AR. It's, it's the AR, um, you know, love my time going going out to the the training facilities and doing and doing the AR camps you know such fun such a good time um in terms of of just general badassery i love the Remington 887 tactical shotguns i mean just couldn't couldn't be any cooler and um 887 though, or 870 Huh? No, eight. no. 887. 887, which is the which is the tactical version of the 870. So it's um, uh, one in the chamber, seven in the tube, you know, just the, the classic, the classic, um, quote unquote, evil, evil black shotgun, the kind of shotgun that if someone is on the other side of a door, like someone is, has incurred into your house. You, you don't, when, when you have the, the eight, eight, seven next to the bed or set up in the, in the tactical position in the house, wherever it is, where you can get at it, you know, hidden, of course, um, you actually don't have one in the chamber because the first line of defense that you have is just the sound of racking the thing. It's that good. It's that good. Um, it's, it's not as fun because it's sometimes, I mean, especially for a woman, it's like physically painful, especially if you're, if you're shooting slugs, it's physically painful to shoot the thing because it just pounds your shoulder. But it's the, the, the just sheer joy and delight from, from the, the, 
badassery, if I may use that word, of of the whole thing, you know, it offsets that and it makes it it makes it very enjoyable. Um, I have heard sh- that the mere sound of chambering around for a shotgun is is oftentimes more effective than actually being shot in terms of deterring somebody's intentions who is going to enter your room or enter yeah. your house. And sometimes it's more effective than brand muffins. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, yes, that uh, pistols don't enjoy it. I mean, they're obviously you got to have them and you got to use them and you got to train with them. But don't don't enjoy, you know, the handgun shooting. Um, but again, call me pedestrian. Call me predictable. Um, just just a good old nine millimeter is is really hard to beat. You know, it's be precisely because so easy to find so inexpensive ammunition so inexpensive you know you can go and and play and plink with the thing and not just be racked with guilt about how much money you're spending on on the ammo and, and so, i've heard people you know argue about you know 45 is better than this or, or 40 smith and wesson is what the fbi uses which actually they switch now um it I read an article once, uh, some guy who is a part-time statistician who over 30 years collected gunshot statistics from uh, law enforcement of all kinds, local, federal, state, etc. And in terms of one-shot stops, uh, which was basically an aggressor ceases to be an aggressor after one shot, the number one caliber was a 22 long rifle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. in the underlying common theme was the number one thing to stop somebody from being an aggressor is getting shot. Yeah. which goes to the second most effective thing for for defense is shot placement. And people may say, hey, not, a single 9mm isn't as good as a forty five. And my re- my response is, yeah, but three 9mm right in the same spot because I practice with them and I can group them mm-hmm. nicely right in the middle of your chest. That's more effective than the single forty five. Not that I practice or intend to ever use it for that. It's just the, the whole idea that shot placement is what matters. And 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 uh, one of the nice things about a 9mm is it's not so snappy like a, a, a 10mm or a 40 Smith & Wesson. This, exactly. Why am I answering? This is your question. Sorry. Well, but but that's a great point because, and especially for women, and I have small hands, I have weak hands, I can't I can't have some massive, huge handgun. I mean, it's it's hard enough as it is for the average woman to, I think, control just a, a everyday nine millimeter. Um, I really can't imagine having as a daily driver. Um, and trying to have any degree of accuracy in a tactical situation with some massive, huge, you know, 45 or whatever. I just, I wouldn't do it. I'd, and like you said, um, not only getting shot, uh, but just just the, the sound, even, even if you don't hit somebody, if somebody incurs into your house, and let's assume that they are, that they're not tactical, it's just, you know, just common hip hop punk, thieves or whatever coming into into your house to try to steal your stuff um honestly they don't they don't expect you whitey whoever it is to be shooting back at them and so just the sound and the sound of of a nine millimeter being fired at them well you know there you go the other thing you have to take into consideration and another reason why the ar-15 is actually really good for um for in home is because it, it depending on where you live now if you live out in the country and you live all alone and there's nobody around anywhere um you can have you can be you know shooting a higher a higher powered you know 
weapon system inside the house. And it's okay if that penetrates walls, penetrates, you know, the external walls, whatever. Man, if you live in town, you have to be thinking, and especially if you live in a condominium or something that adjoins some other house, a duplex, something like that, you have to be thinking about, wait a minute, what happens if I shoot at this common shared wall here? Is this going to go through that wall like butter and be killing potentially innocent neighbors on the other side of that wall? So for that reason, um, it, it actually is a good idea for inside the house to have not just a scatter gun, obviously, which is ideal because that's not going to, uh, a, a scattered gun with shot, you know, and not slugs, that's not going to penetrate any walls. Um, AR 15, you know, two, two, three, it's not, it's not going to just be tearing through walls, common shared walls. Um, and, and, that's that's a big consideration you know you have to think about things like that so i I took a concealed carry course once and and one of the comments that was made by one of the instructors is something that stuck with me in terms of how you you know think about tactics long in advance of when you'd ever need them and hopefully you never need them but every Mm -hmm. shot you fire is gonna have three three lawyers attached to it yeah and, and oh, so yeah. you, you have to think about, you know, it has to be your last resort. It has to be something where you had no other choice to de-escalate the situation. Um, it, it's it, This isn't wild west shoot from the hip kind of stuff. It, this, this is serious stuff. Yeah, I had a friend in Denver. Um, she was home alone with her daughter. And um, punk neo-Nazis broke and entered into the house. She and her teenage daughter were alone. Um, they were a, they were a weapons family, even though, even though my friend didn't, um, she wasn't a big, she wasn't a big user. I mean, she was cool with the fact that the guns were in the house, but she hadn't, she hadn't taken intensive training or anything like that, but she knew how to discharge the weapon. Okay. Neo-Nazis had broken into the house. They were in the house and she grabbed the the uh, nine millimeter, I think it was, that was in the bedroom there, went, did exa- did everything exactly right inside her own home with intruders in inside of the house. She stood. I think she was like on the the staircase landing. She did exactly the right things. She announced that she knew they were in the house. She announced that she had a gun. And she could hear that they were in the house and advancing towards her. And, all, and she discharged the weapon inside of the house. And, I mean, this, this couldn't be clear. This couldn't be a clear case of self-defense. And she was messed with by the cops. There was talk of re- uh, prosecuting her for reckless discharge of a firearm, all this kind of crap. I mean, it's just, it's insane. So, you know, we talk about, um, what are they called, castle laws and all that kind of stuff. Even if you are, you have the tightest scenario that you can possibly imagine, woman alone, intruders inside of your house, um, you need to understand that if you discharge that weapon, even inside of your own house, grave threat right in front of you, law enforcement and this culture is still going to mess with you, is still going to screw with you, and you you could still 
be charged with a crime, drug into court, blah, blah, blah. It'll be a, a mark on your permanent record, so to speak. And those kind of things are getting more and more important now as all of this, you know, data surveillance and all that kind of stuff. Um, these quote unquote black marks are going to be put on your record. Oh, well, I mean, you got to do what you got to do. And that's what every, every firearms course I've ever been to. It's been the same thing. They give you, they give you the huge lecture that if you ever discharge a weapon, your life is going to change permanently as a result of that, no matter what happens, yeah, know, no matter what your, happens. Know so. your local and state laws. I mean, not everybody yep. can live in Oklahoma where the, the prosecutor has to prove that you were not in self-defense. Uh, that leaves 49 other states where you might have to prove something. Yep, but exactly. At this, at this rate, we're not going to get through many questions. So uh, in summary, AR-15, uh, a Remington shotgun, I assume 12-gauge because why not, and mm -hmm. a 9-millimeter pistol that you can practice with and, and uh, handle. And uh, I have to put in a plug for, okay, there's two more. You asked specifically about the varminting rifle and the one, there's a picture of me on the internet and I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the bed of a truck on a, a shooting platform shooting uh, prairie dogs, which is great fun. That is a 204. That is a 204, which is a very good um, varminting uh, caliber. I really, really love really love that system and then the fn scar if you can get an fn scar get an fn scar that's very nice pieces of machinery yes yes good times good uh, times for, and uh, kind of where as especially in the former u.s as they move away from the ar-15 platform they're as i understand it and i haven't been keeping up as well as i should but the plan for them as i understood it was to move more into a, an FN SCAR type platform. So for the military, yeah, uh, it's an open question at this point. The mm. the special ops guys who can buy whatever they feel like because they have the budget for it. Uh, a lot of them do carry that. Uh, the Heckler and Coke four sixteen. That's their version of the of the um, uh, the Colt M sixteen mm -hmm. or AR four. That that's um, uh, very popular as well. Which um, <laughs> we could keep talking about this making it the gun show, but we have a bunch more questions. So let me mm. let me okay. let me scoot forward. Um, and what are your favorite podcasts, blogs, and YouTube channels? Oh, goodness. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Favorite podcasts. Um, I don't listen to any religiously. I listen to what generally what super nerd first sends me generally with, um, timestamp cues saying, Hey, you've got to listen to so-and-so at this point. And that's usually the majority of those are Ben Shapiro and who else? The other one. They, they that, range all over the place. There, there's Joe Rogan. He, he, he interviews some interesting people. I was just going to say people. Rogan, but I have to say about Rogan that he's, I mean, let's be honest. Joe Rogan is not a practicing Catholic. Okay. And, um, the, the, the That's topics of conversation by on Rogan's show can be very, very, very salty some incredibly intelligent observations and things are said on Joe Rogan's podcast, but you know, just making sure everybody understands this is not something that you're going to, you know, gather, gather the children around the, around the radio to sit down and listen to uncle Joe Rogan. Some of the topics can be quite, uh, salacious and you shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to stuff like that, but it's interesting to listen to. And I, what, 
super nerd and I have been have been kind of doing and watching is just researching on how do you do this? How do you do this business of even having a podcast and and what works and what doesn't in terms of format and things like that? And I think Rogan, in terms of just his show, does a good job. He has a good delivery and a good format. And they, they're just really casual about letting letting the conversation unflow, uh, um, unfurl and, and flow naturally. Um, and so I was, I, there's some Joe Rogan clips and so forth that are worthwhile watching. Um, the, the, thing, the thing I like about Joe Rogan, it's, it's a long form interview. So his, his typical podcast goes from two to three and a half hours, somewhere in that range, typically around yeah. three. And so, uh, you know, for example, his interview with, with Ted Nugent, all over the place and very interesting. His, his interviews with uh, Ben Shapiro, all interesting, all over the place. But what makes Rogan interesting, and I wish he would stop cussing, but he's never going to, is that he is intellectually curious. He, mm-hmm. he was raised Catholic and abandoned it, so he doesn't have, he's got that against him, but he is still intellectually curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people like him and um, what's that atheist dude named Sam whatever, his interview with, with Rogan and Shapiro, th- these are people who you don't have much in common with, but unlike the, you know, the, the news media who all they can process are sound bites and slogans, these people actually have fully thought out discussions. And yeah. you may not agree with much of anything that they say, but, the, but you can appreciate the fact that they are actually explaining and uh, making an exposition of what they believe. And it is valuable to understand where your enemies are coming from. And I mean that from an intellectual perspective. Some listening to um, Sam Harris, who is an atheist par excellence, listening to him explain his positions and back up why he's an atheist, let you understand that position a little bit more. And, and, and with prayer and study, you know, start reading St. Thomas and you can start figuring out how to now counter uh, Sam Harris. But, but you know, if, it, if the typical atheist argument is, well, you're an idiot and a child to believe in God, that's fairy tales. No, that, that's not what Harris breaks it down to. So in these long-form podcasts, you actually ha- are, are talking with people who are searching for truth, typically lowercase t, but sometimes capital T. And you may not learn much from it, but in some cases you do. Yeah, and they're, they're, gener- they're generally pretty interesting. And like I said, I'm, I'm mostly only listening to stuff that's coming in by recommendation. And that's, that's a lot of believe it or not, that's a lot of the the reading and reading of blog posts and so on and so forth that I do. Um, obviously, pretty much all of us now are sitting around at, um, you know, 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. East Coast time waiting for Frank Walker to make his update on Canon 212 for the day because he's going and doing all the grunt work and finding, you know, every news article that's germane, every blog post, et cetera, et cetera, and aggregating that and putting that on his website um, so that, you know, we don't have to be just crawling all over everything and, and finding this stuff. Frank does the work of doing all of that. So I obviously look at Canon 212 every day. Um, but otherwise, what I'm mostly doing is I'm looking at my email box. And if, you know, you get three, four, five emails in from people referencing, hey, you should look at this, read this, and it's the same link to the same thing. That's a signal right there. Okay, I'll go go take a look at that, you know. So um, in terms of, you know, what, what do I, what blogs and so forth, I mean, it's just, you know, it's the standard 
Canon 212 stuff, keeping up on the news of the church, and then looking at Drudge, but Drudge doesn't, Drudge doesn't post to blogs, Drudge, or link to blogs, he's blogging to mostly news. Um, In terms of secular stuff, um, I've linked to AmericanDigest.org several times on my blog, which is a property of Gerard Vanderloon. And, you know, some of it's, some of it's a little bit salty, none of it's awful, awful, awful bad, I don't think, but some of it, some of it's a little bit salty, but just, he's really good. Vanderloon is very good at finding just that random, interesting, random, interesting, and sometimes kind of thoughtful, artistic. Um, There's quite a lot about art, literature, so on, and music, you know, um, you know, in a commentary sort of a way, just cultural interest sort of a sort of a thing. Um, so American Digest is just it's just interesting and and fun to read. You know, it's like what what's going to be on there today? What's what is what is Vanderloon found found today? These interesting links and so forth. Um, another one that is in the same vein and and has been a friend to me for years and years, ever since the Koran burning and so on and so forth. Is um, it used to be called IOwntheWorld.com, and now it's called um, IOwntheWorld Report. IOTW Report, I think. You can just Google it. Yeah, uh, IOTW Report, which they they had a deal like kind of like what Super Nerd and I had, where they had to change, they had to completely change servers or something like that years ago, and they had to change their domain. So it went from IOwntheWorld.com to iotwreport.com and um, it's that's the same thing it's just kind of an aggregation site of news and and quirky interest stuff you know um, and both have both have comment threads and again comment threads are <laughs> I don't have comment threads for a reason on my blog because you know what you po for someone like me for someone like me comments that I would post on my site, I am morally responsible for, and I just don't want to deal with that, you know? So, and I also have a lot of, um, crazy people, trolls, lots of trolls on my website, lots of people, you know, constantly looking to just uh, discredit isn't the word, but you have to be really savvy about these things. And you learn quickly when you get into this, this game, if I may refer to it as that, that there's a lot of, people out there in the world who's either their own amateur vocation in trolling or paid trolls. So what you'll have is you'll have sock puppet commentators who would, for example, if I had comments on my site, would come to my site and leave, you know, like pro kill all the Jews, pro Nazi, you know, leaving comments like that intentionally trying to tar all of us with with this with this brush you know so i mean it's just it's not worth it it's i mean comment threads anywhere are are hit and miss obviously um zero hedge is is probably the biggest example of that zero hedge is the financial reportage blog website whatever you want to call it everybody's looking at zero hedge and you know there can there can be some really good comments and links and and insights in uh, in zero hedge comment threads but there's also just this this absolute cesspool of 
pornographic references and so on and so forth to where it, it just it's it ruins it you know it, it it that's if anything ruins zero hedge it's the comment threads um so again i make these references and understand that i am not i'm i'm saying reader beware and disclaiming that i'm not certainly not responsible for any of the comments that might show up on any of these blogs or any of these websites that i read and you have to you have to be judicious and and prudent and so on and so forth and don't look at bad things so I want to emphasize something you mentioned earlier because uh, I'm sure folks send you links to a, a you know two hour long something. Hey, listen to this. I think it'd be great. Or a two hour long YouTube video. Send a time code for something specific, or do a summary of, of why it's interesting. If if you oh, send yeah, if you send a link to something and don't explain why it's interesting, take take one guess where that's going. Oh yeah, yeah. If you oh and I get I get I don't know how many of these a day. Link to a YouTube video with with nothing else it's deleted. It's instantly deleted. Just sorry, no offense, but seriously, really, if, if there is something of importance, as super nerd just said that you think me or anyone else needs to see brief summary, what are we looking at? And, um, either post, post the YouTube link and then say it's at the such and such timestamp, or I don't know if you realize you can do this, but you can actually go when you're on YouTube and you hit share. Um, you have the option of saying, um, of of embedding the actual timestamp into the link that you're copying. It's in this. It's in the the share function on on a classic YouTube page. You can do that so that it's queued up, ready to go. The person clicks on it and it starts running at exactly where you want it to run. Or if you're listening to a podcast on, on your mobile device, take a screenshot. Let's say you're listening to the Matt Walsh program and he makes an interesting point. Uh, take a screenshot so you can see the time reference and then include that in your email with a link, you know, unless it's not clear, say it's, it's the Matt Walsh show this particular day, it, a link to the MP3 helps, but then also a reference where am I, am I listening to in this file and give a quick summary. Like yeah. an awesome defense of, of why abortion is uh, clinically insane for people who used to be, I don't know, whatever, whatever the quick summary is, I, that wasn't a good example off the top of my head. Yeah, exactly. The point is, must listen explanation point is almost guaranteed to be deleted if, if that's all it says. Or some or something along those lines. I, um, I, sent, I sent you a, a, a time referenced uh, link once and said, "Hey, listen to this," and you you texted back and said, "What the heck am I listening to?" And it, it was somebody talking. It was, it was one of my computer programming podcasts, and it was a reference to artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, it was, and, and in my mind, I immediately thought of Coco the non-speaking ape uh, because mm. the person was uh, somebody who, who has disabilities himself, and he works for Microsoft and and, and works with um, I think it's. With, with a particular tool that works with the Xbox program. And so just by making hand gestures, you can control the gaming aspect of, of the computer. But the, the logic that's happening behind the scenes here of these cameras on the, the sensor system for the Xbox, this could be interpreting sign language. It could be um, an advanced UI type of thing. It, 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 there's all kinds of interesting possibilities to go along with it. Of course, my mind jumped, jumped over to Coco the Ape, and I guess Anne didn't pick up on that, so... <laughs> even, even with the time reference, it may be, huh? Just prepare for that feedback. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And the other thing is, you know, super duper 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 long emails, almost guaranteed to be deleted. And again, no offense. And it's a lot of times I'll get these emails in from people that are just thousands and 
thousands of words long. And you know that someone sat down and and spent an enormous amount of time write it, writing that out. But the truth of the matter is, is that there is a positive correlation between the length of an email and the crazy and harsh, but true, harsh, but true. Um, normal people do not send four, 5,000 word emails, um, to, to strangers on the internet. So, you know, the, the whole super long email thing, that's another parameter that, you know, you'll, you'll kind of start it and say, does this, is this really going anywhere, any, anywhere useful or interesting? And then you'll look at your, the scroll bar on the side and you'll see, oh my gosh, I'm only, you know, I've been sitting here reading this thing for, for two minutes and I'm only an eighth of the way down the scroll bar. And, you know, you'll scroll down and you'll just say, I'm sorry, I can't do this. So who was it? I think it was O'Reilly. Remember how O'Reilly at the end of his show always used to say, um, I can't remember what his exact words were, but be pithy. Remember, be pithy when he would do the the user comment thing at the at the end of the show. And that's and that's exactly right. If you're going to send anything into, you know, a person who has a show, podcast, internet, whatever, um, shorter is better. Shorter is better. No and, question. And if you really cannot summarize a 6,000 word email, at least put a synopsis or an executive summary explaining what the email is going to say in greater detail. Uh, at least, at least you are, are, you know, giving the ability for somebody to, to comprehend what is this about and say, okay, fine. I will schedule 30 minutes to read this later, but I can't read it right now. Let me go ahead and yeah. mark this one. I'll get back to it, but at least tell, tell me what, what you're going to tell me later. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of scientific so. uh, formatted papers, because that you know, uh, well, scientific white papers always have an executive summary or synopsis. Actually, we got a a um, <laughs> we got a question from a nuclear scientist. Um, as incredibly brilliant as you are, Anne, why didn't you major <laughs> in engineering? Um, because my math education in high school, and remember, I dropped out of high school too. I dropped out when I was fifteen or sixteen. Um, mathematics, algebra, all of that was taught so spectacularly poorly that I hated and despised mathematics as, you know, a teenage person and therefore had absolutely no interest in it. Love science of all kinds, physics, chemistry, biology, just anything across the board. Love science, hated, hated, hated Math, and I've given this, you know, little rant before about pedagogy with regards to mathematics. What they do in in schools today is that they teach everything in just the most meaningless, abstract terms. So all algebra is taught as just A B C X Y Z with zero context. There's zero context, and so you know um, the. The In fact, the curriculum that was used when I was in junior high and high school was Saxon. Saxon had just become popular. And I, I hated it because, okay, yes, every day you're learning a new, a new skill set, a new mathematical concept. No explanation ever at any point whatsoever as to why you're doing this. What, what possible use could this have? Now, obviously... All these things do have uses and context and so forth in, in the real world. Um, 
all mathematics has has applications somehow somewhere when i was a kid you know it's either physics which points to engineering today it's computer science i mean you can tech, you can contextualize everything engineering so on and so forth um but the way that the math is taught with zero context the only problems the only thing I enjoyed doing in in math class and algebra were, do you remember the problems, the word problems you would have to do that if a train leaves this station traveling at this mile, this this speed, and another train leaves another station traveling in the opposite direction at this speed, when will they, you know, collide head on or wh- whatever the question yeah. was. If the train leaves Annapolis at 80 miles an hour heading north and another train leaves Boston heading south at 47 miles an hour and a, and a train leaves Cleveland heading east at 44 miles an hour, what's the ideal metallurgical content of the rails? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I, di- I did enjoy, I did enjoy um, solving those distance equals rate times time algebra problems. I, that was the only thing that I derived even the most minimal, minimal bit of satisfaction from in, in, uh, math class at all. And so hated, hated math. And therefore, if you, if you hate math, that disqualifies absolutely everything and disqualifies engineering, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, and then I always used to joke when I was teaching my live cattle marketing schools, and I think I make reference to it on, you know, the DVD that I still sell of my cattle marketing school. I think it's on there. 16hourmba.com. Exactly, exactly. Um, that, you know, having this, this intense hatred and this bad pedagogy in terms of mathematics when I was a kid, isn't it ironic that I actually ultimately ended up turning out to be a math teacher and a, applied a derivatives math trader, teacher. Yes. <laughs> Say again. A derivatives trader. A, der- well, com- a derivatives trader. <laughs> but but ultimately, teaching these cattle marketing schools, I turned out to be a math teacher, and I would I would you know give this little micro spiel to people during the course of of the school and say, isn't this fun? Because I mean, after the first five hours, which is, which is theory, which is lecture, it's, it's lecture of the theory. The rest of the school, the rest of the 16 hours of the school is mathematical practicum. It's just, it's just doing math problems and it is so much fun. It's fun to learn. It's fun to do. It's exciting because it has a context and it's really exciting because it's teaching you how to make money. I mean, what, what's more exciting than that, you know, and, and it's, it's so enjoyable and it's so much fun. And, you know, the guys in the school are like, oh, this is great. This is great. And, and it's easy. And that, the, well, the other advantage that I have in the cattle marketing school is that it's basically addition, subtraction, multiplication and division. And of course I let people use use calculators to do the, you know, big, long multiplication and so on and so forth. There's no problem with that. Um, and you know, what goes along with addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division is obviously just very simple solving for X, which we end up doing because we end up taking one algebraic equation 
and then solving for all of the different components. So, you know, do I need to solve for the price that I can pay for what the price that I can pay for an animal? Do am I solving for what the cost of gain needs to be on this particular transaction? Am I solving for, you know, you can solve for absolutely anything within a given equation. Um, if you have the other, the other variables, um, if you're, if you're, if you have an equation and you're only just missing one variable, you can use simple algebra to work your way back around and solve for the missing, for the one missing term. And so that's, that's basically, I consider that to be, um, attached to just simple mathematics, simple arithmetic, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. And so it's fun. It's fun. It's easy. Once you learn how to do it, it's low stress. And then the more you do it, the more the clearer and clearer it becomes in your mind until you can, you know, people talk about, and I never understood this again because I was bad, quote unquote, at math when I was in school. You know, I would always marvel at people who talked about that they could see numbers in their head. And then, you know, it happened to me first in the context of, um, futures trading, options trading, options spread trading. It got, you know, you do that all day, every day. And it gets to the point where you can see complex spreads in your mind. And I wasn't even, I wasn't even, you know, savant level or, or super, super good at it. I, I had, you know, my area of expertise. I had a client who was a, um, owned a grain elevator out in the middle of, of North central Kansas and he would lose me. I would get on the phone with him and he would be doing these like five legged spreads, which involved futures, options, cash, and then like <laughs> just, you know, bar barge barge spreads and a delivery spread. I mean, and this guy could just see all of this in his head and just rattle this off like it was nothing. And he would lose me all the time. And I say, stop, wait a minute. You have to go back. It, do, what, what's the fourth and the fifth leg of the spread again? And, but he, but he could just see it. I could see three legged spreads and I could see how, if the market moved, how that would react. And then when you get into the cattle marketing and so forth, and you're dealing with the equation of, you know, selling animals, buying animals and the cost of gain, the cost of production, you get to where you can see that equation in your head and you know, well, if the price of corn does this, then the price of the cattle will do that and da, 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 da. If this goes up, this goes down, do, 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 do. And you can see these relationships in your head in a weird sort of a way. Then after that happened to me, I had occasion to um, become friendly with some really high, super high level mathematicians. Um, and I was just fascinated by how there are these mathematicians running around who can see, you know, things involving complex numbers, so on and so forth. How, how can they see these things in their heads? How can they keep track of these incredibly complex, super high level mathematical concepts? And that's today when we have the, the, the benefit of all the technology that we have, you know, computers, computer graphing, the ability now to visualize imaginary numbers in the imaginary plane. 
um, that's all made possible basically to the average at the average Joe, excuse me, like me, by computers and the internet and so forth. People can now create these graphics to show and demonstrate this. How did these guys hundreds of years ago? How, without without calculators, with nothing, how did they keep track in their minds of all of this complex mathematics? And I, I absolutely marvel, marvel at it and have tremendous respect for that intellectual capability. But, you know, everything turned out the way it was supposed to turn out. And I majored in animal husbandry and it, with an emphasis in agricultural economics. So, uh, yeah, there was there was some light mathematics there but again that was all i mean it all turned out all the ag econ stuff that i learned when i was in college turned out to be not just useless but detrimental truly detrimental i mean another you know little micro spiel i give in the cattle marketing thing is i went all the way through university majoring in animal animal husbandry cattle production emphasis in agricultural economics came out of college had absolutely no idea how to calculate a return on the gain which is you know in the cattle business it's the entire point of why you're doing this you know you have to be able to calculate the return on the gain sat worked for the first however many years that i was working in the in the futures brokerage office nobody was ever calculating the return on the gain on anything every what we were doing was this forecasting macroeconomic stuff, which is just useless, absolutely useless. And like I said, so useless as to be detrimental because it's distracting people from actual things that matter and objective reality, ha ha ha, you know, instead of just this, this, um, it's, it's really nouveau fortune telling. It's nouveau fortune telling. More useless than Keynesian economic theory and the need for ag subsidies? Yes, exactly. Well, we were trying to always argue against, get rid of the subsidies and let let the market be pure, which is, I still believe, I still absolutely believe. But yes, there you go. So there's there's the little mathematics discussion. Great question. While we are still on the topic of numbers, Anne, what is your personal bench record, or bench press record? 135. Okay, there's your number. 135, one rep. That's so that is that was truly my max and I weighed 117 at the time. So I was in I was in pretty good shape for a girl. Not too bad. Not too bad. And I this question is literally not for me. It came from a from a listener. And why do you use a Macintosh computer? Um I was in a well, I moved I sold everything. So, you know, I had a, I had a fabulous fabulous system um in my office. For my, you know, daily driver, it drove, I think it drove nine monitors. So I had a suite of six monitors with a big, huge 42 inch big boy up, up above. I don't know if there are any surviving photographs of my office, but it was a, it was a really sweet setup, fabulous computer. And of course that all, that all had to go. It all had to, everything had to go. And so I ended up in a situation where I needed to get my last, um, my last laptop, died and I just I I had to get a computer and I needed something super super small super portable and so I did get I got a MacBook Air not E-R-R-O-R A-I-R and 
you know, there's good and bad to it. I used to be, be, I was talking with someone, oh, I was talking, I remember what it was, but I can't, I can't say what the context was. If I was talking with someone about, um, you know, I used to have a pretty decent competence in terms of, um, like quote unquote photoshopping. And although I, I think what program did I use mostly? I used Microsoft publisher and I could, I could do some pretty cool and funny stuff and was pretty competent with, with photoshopping and so forth. And I got to be honest with you, I just, for these lat past years, these past five years where I've been using this Apple system, um, I still struggle with the Apple interface. I've not really learned it. Um, and I certainly am no good at all with anything like ph photoshopping, you know, any kind of file manipulation, anything like that. I just simply don't know very well how to use the Apple interface. I still struggle. I lose files. I can't figure out where things are or where, th where they're going. Um, on the Apple. And that's, that's my fault. I mean, it's just being lazy and it's just such a radical change in, in the, the work lifestyle. You know, what am I doing now? Browsing the internet, writing blog posts. So not even using a word processor, but you know, just writing blog posts in the context of what, what's our platform, WordPress, whatever it is. This week it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then using the stupid thing to, you know, I've got some music on here and um, watching, I have a portable DVD, uh, external DVD, Blu-ray Blu drive. Because, so the, if I wanna because the MacBook Air does not have an optical drive. No, because it's too thin. It's way too thin for an optical drive. Actually, so you have to have the, an external the one. Is, the, the show is being recorded on a MacBook Air. I, I bought mine four years ago when I started doing iOS uh, application development. You have to go through the final compile process on that on a Macintosh. And I wanted something portable, and I didn't want to spend a ton of money. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize you were having trouble with Mac, so <laughs> lob me some questions. I can an I can answer those. I've, I've got... You know, the, obviously the, the Mac for uh, mobile stuff when I was still doing that. I've got the Lenovo Mini Monster here. I've got um, uh, Linux and OpenBSD uh, virtual machines on that. So I, I just use whatever tool I need at the time. It's, you know, I, I use the phrase, don't use the tool, don't be a tool. So what, yep. whatever's, whatever's <laughs> right for the job at hand. Indeed. And then the other thing, um, a couple of years ago, something happened where I had to, I had to bug out of my house um, and bug out like, immediately and the computer got left there. And so what I had to do was I had to buy an iPad just to have something to, um, uh, just something so I could get blog posts up and keep going. And so I do have a little iPad, which is kind of the, the backup system. And, and then I bought the, the thing with the cover and the keyboard is in the cover for any of you who have an iPad. I have that thing. Um, and didn't, did not enjoy using that as a main system at all or making blog posts because you have to, with the iPad, you have to use your fingers on the screen to, you know, highlight things and copy and paste and so on and so forth. And it really was, um, difficult and time consuming to do that. And it took away a lot of the enjoyment of, um, just doing the the day-to-day -day website work. So it's over there and more often than not anymore the the iPod the iPad gets, you know, plugged into speakers and it it is basically used as the as the ambient music machine around the house. So that's well, that's about all I have anymore. Based on your answer to that, I'm going to anticipate a question. Have you considered using or getting a uh, Chromebook? No. Okay. 
<laughs> <laughs> There's the answer if to I, that one. <laughs> if if I don't if I don't need it and I don't need it, uh, then I'm not I'm not in the position where I'm going to be spending money on any more technology. In fact, I have more I have more than I need. I've got the MacBook Air, I've got the iPad, and I've got um uh I did get a, a monitor, so I have a big quote unquote TV to watch movies on, and even that is too much. So. No, it's all about being streamlined anymore and not not spending money on on things that I don't need. N-E-E-D. Next question, is Anne committed to never doing videos again? And if so, why? Yeah, I I, I pretty much am. Um, there's just there's just enough of my face on the Internet, you know, um, don't enjoy it only did those videos because, and I said this in one of them, I can't remember which one, it might have been the, the video I made on Social Security or Medicare or something. It was just this notion that if, if you don't say these things, if you don't do this, no one else is going to do it. So that, that was the, the impetus behind the Koran burning, you know. If no one else will do this, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, no one else is going to do it or at least do it right. Because remember, I did my Koran burning in the me in the immediate aftermath of that. What was that guy's name? That redneck in Florida, Terry Jones. Terry Jones had done his just stupid, stupid Koran burning. And of course, the mainstream media was just eating it up and wanting to hold this this illiterate redneck up as look this is this is the the emblem this is the image of anyone who who criticizes islam of course jones hadn't read the quran either his was just a his was a stunt and i think he had a a a church racket going i think he was he held himself out as being a preacher or something well didn't his video start with here hold my beer yeah, exactly. Right. Right. So I see that. Then Lindsey Graham starts shooting his mouth off about, you know, people people in the United States need to be held to account under the law, but outside of the law for, um, you know, defacing or defiling the Koran or anything like that. And I was just like the, the second I saw that it was just like, OK, it's on. Someone, someone has to do this. Someone has to do a real, serious, legit Koran burning. And if I don't do it, you know what? I don't think anyone else is going to. At least not. At least not today. And so that was it. Um, well, in making a callback to the question earlier about podcasts, uh, I forget now which podcast it was. It it might have been it might have been Rogan, but I forgot who he was talking to. The whole idea of Islam as a religion of peace is a mischaracterization of. Arabic, where the word peace actually means surrender. So yeah. if you understand it the way it's supposed to be understood, it's like saying Latin is a dead language. Oh, yeah, nobody's speaking. It's not alive. No, um, dead means fixed. And that's a, a perfect example of the drift of the meaning of words in the English language. In Arabic, the word for peace means surrender, as in, I have forced you to surrender, so now yep. we have peace. Yep, that, and I make... Is it in the Koran burning video or I don't know which which one it is, but keep making that point over and over and over again. Islam means peace in the sense that there will be peace when they have killed everyone. When they have killed everyone, then there will be peace. And that's that's what they're talking about. And we all deserve to die. And anyone who does not submit to Islam must be killed, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, it, it means submission. It means surrender. Um, and conquest, so, more accurately understood. Say again? More accurately understood, it means conquest. Conquest, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so in terms, but back to the question of me doing videos, um, you know, when you, when you embark on something like this and you, you are a, even mildly, you have even the slightest bit of fame on the internet, you got to watch yourself. You got to be careful. You got to make sure that you're not buying into the, the adulation and any sort of cult of personality that might be forming around you. And one of the hallmarks of things that I, that I see, um, and it's, it's obvious and it gets more and more obvious is people who are obsessed with their own image. And, you know, you see this in terms of young people who are constantly taking selfies, you know, and doing the weird thing, the girls doing the weird thing where they're puckering their lips and just constantly posting pictures of themselves. That's really weird. I don't, I don't want to be constantly looking at pictures of myself, videos of myself. Um, I don't really care that other people, um, I've intentionally taken off of the barnhart.biz website when it was my commodity brokerages website, I did have my picture on it. And the reason I had my picture on it was because I was within the context of the North American cattle business. I was very unique. I was a young female and, you know, I, I was one of those people that if you were in the cattle business and if you had met Ann Barnhart, you would remember who Ann Barnhart was just because I was so odd. I mean, here, here's a 26, 25, 26, 27 year old woman running around, you know, giving, giving all kinds of presentations on the cattle industry, speaking for drug companies, commodity broker, blah, blah, blah. And so my my picture actually did go a long way in terms of business because anybody who would ever cross paths with me in any way would remember me in the cattle industry just because I was so so different from everybody else and so yeah I had my picture on the on the brokerage website but when when we reskinned and went to WordPress after I you know went to the van down by the river and all that oh I knew right away there's not going to be any pictures of me on this there, there's, <laughs> there's probably way, way, way too much of me on the internet as it is. And so that's when, why when I did the diabolical narcissism video, not only because diabolical narcissism is the overarching pathology, which explains basically everything. And so anything I would do from here forward is basically just going to be pointing back to that. Um, you know, watch the diabolical narcissism video. If you don't understand the question that if you don't find the answer to the question you just asked me about this political dynamic, this dynamic in the church, this dynamic about sex perversion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If you don't find the answer to what you're looking for in the diabolical narcissism video, well, let me know. But I, my strong suspicion is, is that you will. Therefore, I don't need to be doing any more videos. I've, I've done what I need to do. I do not want to be a television person particularly at all. Um, it's, it's more than enough, I think, to do the podcast. Um, but there's something, I think there's something less, less offensive to me about, you know, the disembodied voice than there is about the whole, the whole video paradigm. And I just, I just don't want to do it. I, I, that's, 
I don't want to live that kind of life. That's not the kind of person I want to be. I don't think that it's, it's, um, constructive. I don't think it's constructive to me getting to heaven, anything like that. And you just see so many people who are so wrapped up in their own image and appearance and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I have, I have enough issues with vanity as it is and don't leave the house without makeup on and this, that, and the other. I don't, if, if I was on screen all the time, it would just, uh, I, I don't see anything good coming out of that. So I, I, I that's, a, that answer is a little bit vague and, ne- and nebulous, I know, but just don't want to do it. I'd rather be, you know, poor and, <laughs> and, you know, sitting here writing and doing, doing podcasts with super nerd and really don't want anything to do with the whole video television paradigm at all. So there well, you go. And possibly related to that in term, well, I, I guess in terms of, you know, notoriety and being recognized, I mentioned that a lot of the questions came in on a, a couple of well-defined themes and probably the most popular theme. I'm going to give you a cluster of four questions around a symbol, basically the same theme. Mm-hmm. Are you still open to getting married? If so, what are you looking for in a man? Why did you never marry? Do you regret not getting married and having children? Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's almost like a show unto itself. Um, in terms of, do I regret not getting married? Yes and no. Um, yes, in the sense that obviously nobody, nobody wants to go through their life alone. Nobody wants to think about, you know, aging, getting older and just being a burden on some state somewhere or a burden on distant family members who are going to end up having to take care of you. I mean, yeah, that's awful. Also, just the gen- the whole general idea of of not having that that sort of companionship, which is obviously the secondary fruit and and purpose of marriage, is you know the edification of the spouses and advancing together in sanctity and all that kind of stuff. Do but do I looking back at life, my life as it unfolded? Oh, thank God I didn't get married. Thank God. Thank God. Um, there was never, and also there was never any, there was never any opportunity to do so in, in, in terms of what, who, who I was around and, and so on and so forth. I have never, ever had, I have never, ever been anywhere near a relationship with a man that could have resulted in marriage or valid marriage. Let's put it that way. Never. Um, so do I regret not getting married? Obviously not. I mean, I, I made, I, you know, never pursued any sort of romantic relationship or anything with men. And believe me that we're, we're talking about one, maybe two people on the face of the planet, you know, that I, I have not had lots of boyfriends or anything like that. Nothing of, of the sort. I've had male friends, but, you know, in terms of romantic relationships, I mean, it's, one, maybe, maybe two that could kind of maybe be considered that. So obviously I'm glad I didn't get married because it, it, in retrospect, it would have not been the right thing to do at all. Also, I think it's also pretty clear that, um, given my situation in life, there were, there are things that God wanted and wants me to do. And I need to be not married and not have children in order to do those things, namely burn a Koran. Okay. If you're married, if you have children, 
you don't have the same kind of liberty to do something like that as a single person does. And I, you know, it was a completely open question when I did that Koran burning. Um, Is this going to result in me getting killed? And that was a very, very serious question, very serious question, which is why I went out of my way to make sure that the entire planet knew that, you know, my, uh, the house where I was living was a veritable arsenal, you know, um, that's why I was able to give my home address because I'm there alone. Um, and so if anything happens, it's on me and I'm doing this alone and I'm not dragging anyone else into this. It's just me. Um, and that has continued apace. There's things I need to be doing and I ha- and I can't be, I can't be dragging other people. And, oh, the other thing that's huge about in terms of dragging other people is the tax strike. Um, boy, if you, if you do that and then you marry, um, especially another American citizen, your, the IRS is going to attach whatever, whatever liens or debts or whatever that are attached to your social security number to your spouse's social security number. So you can't, you can't be, um, dragging other people into your tax protest and things like that. So again, it's precisely because I was unmarried that I had all this liberty and freedom to do all these things. And um, I think that kind of speaks in a, in a strange way. It speaks to why there is um, the requirements of celibacy for the priesthood, um, for the monastic life, so on and so forth, Be- precisely because being unmarried gives you the flexibility being unmarried and, and in this dark day, you have to conti- continue that thought forward and say, and also childless. Um, it used to be that one implied the other, but not anymore. To be unmarried and childless, precisely that gives you the freedom to do the sorts of things and um, in a certain sense to provide, um, hopefully, a, a, a kind of a leadership, a cultural leadership that you can be the one, you can be the first one to speak up. You can be the first one to stick your neck out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, personally, of course, I would have loved to have been married. Oh, yeah, I love men very much. Love, wish, wish I could have had had a husband and 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 had that sort of companionship and, and life together and Certainly, if you're if 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 that's one of the things that I tell people that um, and women that if, you know, you're dating or courting some guy, um, you should actively be thinking, I would be very, very interested to reproduce with this person and meet the fruits of that reproduction, a person that is half genetically me and half this other person and see what that combination looks like. I would be very interested to meet those people, namely your children. If you're not thinking that, if you don't have any curiosity or thought of, I'd really like to see what the combination of myself with this other person would look like, you probably, it's probably not someone that you should continue the courtship with. You probably shouldn't marry that person. You should want to see what the fruits of reproduction between you and a, and a potential husband or wife in the, in the opposite direction for men should be. And if that's not there, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't be pursuing it any further. I don't think. Um, I, I never considered the, the aspect of what the, the offspring would look like, but when I was single, I did have the, the meditation, you know, in, with, with regard to uh, discerning vocation, 
imagining my children, uh, should God uh, bless me with children uh, when I get married, holding an inquisition and with regard to my wife and saying, why in the world did you pick her mm-hmm. based on we, us having to grow up with her? And, mm-hmm. and, and as an exercise in, in uh, being as much as, as possible when you are uh, in the infatuated state of trying to discern if somebody is, your, is, is, is going to be your spouse, um, trying to be impartial and saying, well, what are their objective qualities? Uh, is this somebody who I really want raising my children? Or is this somebody who I can justify to my children when they're adults saying, why'd you pick her? <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that's a really great point, because I think that the problem that so many people get into, um, and this has been the case now for the last 50, 60 years, obviously, especially with men, especially with men, um, if, if you do have the inquisition, the answer that's going to come back, and it oftentimes does come back and is stated openly after you know, a civil divorce and a marriage has quote unquote fallen apart. Um, but you know, go back and listen to the Bay McFarlane (laughs) podcast if you want to hear about that, but you know, using the contemporary parlance and the answer that a lot of men give is because she was cute and that's it. You know, I knew she was crazy. I knew she was lacking morality Um, and a lot of the times the way you can tell that a woman is lacking morality is because, you know, she had sex with him before they were married. That right there tells you something. Why did you marry this, this woman who turned out to be crazy? And the answer, the the only answer the father can ever give is basically because she was cute and we had nothing in common, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And you, you just look at that and you say, yep, that's, that's largely what's going on in in Western civilization today, these completely superficial physical relationships with nothing in common, so on and so forth. And I know there's a lot of trad Catholics out there who get after me. It's like, well, you know, you put too much emphasis on, you put too much emphasis on that. And so, you know, there used to be arranged marriages and people never got divorced. Yeah, I I hear you. But I still, I still think that the ultimate and, and, the ideal in terms of marriage is that it should be a love match. And, and that obviously is the best image of uh, the love of, of Christ for his church. That's obviously a love match. Um, if, you, if you want to take it a step further and image um, the relationship, the spousal relationship as, as a very, very pale, pale, pale shadow or analogy to the Trinity itself. I mean, obviously, the Trinity is the ultimate love match, isn't it? Um, so the notion that, oh, well, shrug your shoulders, it's it's completely modernistic to expect that that there should be any sort of a love match between spouses. And you just you just get married and you have your kids and you you live your life and you take up your cross. Well, I, I call call me sentimental. Uh, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't happen to me very often, but call me sentimental in the thought that, yeah, I, I think it is ap- absolutely ideal that that spouses should have have a love match and be genuinely in love with each other and have things in common, enjoy each other's company, um, be able to have robust conversations with each other, be genuinely interested in each other. And if you marry some girl just because she's cute, you're, you're not going to have any of that. And within just a few years or after she has her first kid or whatever it is, and she loses the cuteness. I mean, the cuteness goes away in the mid-20s at the latest. 
And then, you know, if you talk about gaining weight and all that kind of stuff that happens to ladies after they start having children, boy, I mean, what, what are you, what do you have after that? If there, if you aren't even physically attracted to your own wife and you have all these temptations in the culture that we have today and, you know, non-practicing, non-practicing people and people who just reject the faith altogether, who are using pornography in droves, in droves, um, because it all revolved around that. Because if they, if that cuteness isn't there anymore, that there really isn't anything else. Um, it's terribly, terribly, terribly sad. And so in a certain sense, I, yeah, also, I'm glad I never got mixed up into some some weird thing like that where, you know, I just kind of, sh- I mean, how horrible would that have been of me to be, you know, 20, 27, 28, 29 and just shrug my shoulders and said, well, I have to get married and then just go marry the first, the first guy that, that looked at me. I, oh, that, that just makes my flesh crawl. Absolutely makes my flesh crawl. So there you go. Well, and this leads right into the obverse side of that question. Have you ever considered becoming a consecrated virgin? Um, consecrated virgin is on the table. What's not possible for me is becoming a nun. I get that all the time. Get thee to a nunnery woman, you know. Um, I can't because, again, tax, uh, tax strike, all that kind of stuff. There's no way you can't you can't enter into a, com- a monastic community or anything like that if you have any sort of an unsettled estate. And I do have an unsettled estate, obviously. So um, monastic life, becoming a nun or a sister, that is off the table. Consecrated virginity is is possible um, because, you know, that's you know, it's just it is what it is. You're a consecrated virgin. You make you make a public oath that you're going to remain a virgin. Oh, well, that that is possible. Am I actively discerning, exploring that? No, to be honest, I'm not. It's just it's not a priority right now. Maybe it should be. Maybe I should be investigating that. And with that, those two sets of questions, that was the biggest uh, in terms of (laughs) What was the TV show where you ask a hundred people and you have to guess the numbers? Those that that theme family there, feud. That's yeah, that, like the that one. Feud. That was the that was the number one topic. It was all questions about uh, about marriage, whether you were still looking to get married. What, why didn't you get married? Have you considered becoming a consecrated virgin? The, the, all questions around uh, the state of, the the state of life there. That that was by by far the most common question that came in. So after that serious question, um, another very serious question. And mm. in light of the stale Big Mac initiative, did you celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Big Mac? No. And I actually had the opportunity to. Um, in fact, temptation presented itself. I had the opportunity and I was strong and I resisted, but I had the opportunity to go to Burger King. I did not go to Burger King. I did not eat a Whopper. And no, I have not. Um, I have not yet celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Big Mac. Um, I, I suppose I should at some point, but I'm going to have to save up some calories for that because I'm one of those people. I can't just go and get just the Big Mac. If you're going to go to McDonald's, I got to get some fries. And that's like eating a Big Mac and fries is like any more, that's like two days worth of food for me. So I'm going to have to do like a double fast or something like that. And then what's the next big feast coming up? 
Oh, uh, August 15th. Yeah, the Annunciation. The or assumption. not the Annunciation. I, uh, assumption. I, I don't know. I don't know. That seems wrong. I don't know. I'll have to, I'll have to look at the, look at the general calendar and see if there are any saints that I could, that I could like work a, a Big Mac feast into. Um, feast of and Saint see if, Anne. Wait, that just passed. Just, just passed. Done. Did that. Happy feast day. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but no, I haven't celebrated the Big Mac yet. I'm still, I'm still, you know, wading through the fallout of the, the horse meat post. Just, oh my gosh. I, and I would like to, I'd like to mention with regards to the stale Big Mac maneuver that if you would like, if you would like to have a stale Big Mac in terms of the stale Big Mac maneuver and, and me and subscribing to the podcast and the website and all of that, that by request, yes, I could request that your stale Big Mac have up to 10% horse meat blended into it, which I would kind of highly recommend actually, because it's quite yummy. So all you have to do is put that in the, um, if you do the donation thing, there's a little space where you can put in a comment or a short message and just indicate what percent of horse meat you want blended into that. And I'll, I will see to it. I will see to it that your stale Big Mac is horse blended. So the stale Big Mac initiative is what, $10 a month or six fifty a month? No, oh, <laughs> five. I mean, we've, we've kind of, you and I kind of settled on five twenty five. I think is the average American price for just a Big Mac right now. So, um, you know, the whole, the, the point of that, as we talked about is that I just, these donations come in and they're of a large denomination sometimes. And I really, really worry, you know, that first of all, I can't deliver on this. And second of all, that, you know, does this person actually have this much money to be just giving away to strange people on the internet? And so, you know, under counsel told you should try to develop a subscriber base and all that. Okay. What, what seems, what seems fair, normal? And if, oh, if X percent of your listening and reading audience would subscribe for X number of dollars a month, then you would make da 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 per month. Well, you know, five, 10 small denomination subscriptions like that, that, that seems like a something I can deliver on. And, you know, sufficient that if X percentage of the listenership or readership did sign up at that level that that would, that would totally get the rent paid. So that's, that's the whole, that's, that's it. Just, just don't, don't frighten me folks with, with large denomination <laughs> donations. Cause I, there's some that I worry, especially, and I know I shouldn't read anything into this because there are some pretty swanky apartments anymore, you know, but when a donation comes in and it's, let's say it's for a hundred bucks and you know, the person on continue to give, I think you kind of have to put partially your address and sometimes one will come through and it'll say apartment one, two, three. And I'll, and I'll look at that and I'll think, good grief, this just, this person just gave me a non-trivial percentage of their monthly rent. Is this right? Can this be good? Are we sure that this person can afford to be doing this? And you know, I can't, I can't run a financial check on everybody who, who gives money, obviously, but one worries and one can only trust that people do give a reasonable amount. So the Big Mac maneuver is hopefully just trying to, you know, drive people into and, you know, increase the width of the subscriber base and drive it towards a more reasonable 
amount. So, well, the reason I asked about the amounts is because one of the podcasts I listened to the the subscribers, or I should say, the the, the producers of that podcast, the, the the listeners, they call that that podcast calls them producers. They donate mm. to keep the the podcast going, and they have made a complete game now. Uh, it's been a running joke for ten years now of making up donation amounts that mean something. So, for example, if you donate forty three dollars seventy, what is it? Uh, forty forty three fifty seven. That spells out help on on the uh, on your ah. touch tone phone. So they come up with all these different combinations of of numbers that supposedly mean something. So I was going to say, if you want to make it a a, a a horse Big Mac, then just have have the the significant uh, decimal be ten cents for ten percent ah, horse okay. meat. Okay, ten, ten, ten cents for the ten percent horse meat blend that you want in your stale Big Mac. Ah, okay, that's pretty clever. I understand. Well, maybe we'll start if if in, inspiration strikes. Um, <laughs> if you're <laughs> if you're against this and such, or if you're in favor of this and such, we'll have a a low denomination um, subscription amount. That's a good idea. I like that. Let's see. I think um, <laughs> I'm not sure if this is a serious question or not, but somebody sent it in. And what is your opinion of people who believe that the Earth is flat? Uh, it's extremely low, and it's it's low if they're sane. But you know, some of them are sane, and so my opinion is low. A lot of them are not sane, and that kind of segues into another thing that being on the internet and being a public person, what what is one of the biggest lessons over the last five years in all of this for me? And one of the biggest lessons without question is having interaction, actual interaction for really the first time in my life with people who are genuinely mentally ill, like paranoid schizophrenics and so forth. Um, you know, we all talk about how we know people who are crazy, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about people who are genuinely detached from reality. And when you get any sort of notoriety or presence on the internet, you start having, you start seeing these people, they start cropping up in your, in your email box. So, so on and so forth. Um, I've never, there, I, to my knowledge, I never before this whole internet thing, minor celebrity, I don't, think I ever knew anyone that was mentally ill in that way, paranoid schizophrenic. Um, and the thing that's, that's so, um, intimidating, I guess is the right word about paranoid schizophrenia and so forth is that these people, most of them are all very, are highly functional, have jobs, drive cars, you know, speak, write, et cetera, et cetera. Run and they companies. are also, go ahead. I'm sorry. Run companies run companies. Um, yeah. And they are completely and totally detached from reality. They are living in a separate thing. They interact with the real world and they move around and function in the real world. But what is going on inside of their brains is, is not reality at all. And so, you know, you start getting the guys who are emailing you who are absolutely convinced that you are speaking to them personally and directly and you are their girlfriend and, and you are in a relationship with them and so on and so forth. Um, the other thing that you see that's kind of a problem is you, you take mental illness and then you layer on top of that the use of drugs, especially marijuana, which is just ubiquitous now, um, it seems, in, in the former U.S. You, you layer weed on top of paranoid schizophrenia and, oh, my goodness, my goodness, the things get absolutely 
I mean, insane doesn't even doesn't even start doesn't even touch it. And to see that there are those people out there and they're and they're that they could be the person who is next to you pumping gas at the gas station utterly detached from reality. And so then you start seeing how and why it is that, you know, flat earth and shape-shifting lizard Jews and 9-11 trutherism and all this, you can see how that stuff gets traction. And then, you know, I saw Alex Jones was in the news. It looks like he's being censored by, I don't know who, Facebook, Twitter, or whatever. And, and there's everyone's all up in arms about this. I have never been a fan of Alex Jones and my opinion of Alex Jones went way south when after I got the internet fame and started seeing these these people who are mentally ill, the paranoid schizophrenics and so forth. You go on InfoWars and Prison Planet and you would look at some of these threads that were on there and it is very, very clear that what InfoWars and Prison Planet is what part of their what part of their business model is is to tap on and capitalize on the mentally ill portion of the population feeding them conspiracy theories you, I, I remember absolutely heartbreaking seeing a story and a comment thread at either infowars or P- prison planet about um you know one of the things these people they become convinced of is that there's mind control you know government mind control beams mind control chemicals but this was in the in the context of mind control beams or you know radiation or something like that and there was cell a phone girl, towers say again cell phone towers cell phone towers i mean wi-fi anything like that oh it's all government mind control So there was a girl on this comment thread and she was clearly, clearly in the early stages of um, paranoid schizophrenia delusions. She was still sane enough that she knew that she knew that something was wrong and something was off because, you know, she was all the classic symptoms. She was hearing voices, you know, compelled to, to do things, da, 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 da. But she was still sane enough that she could perceive that there was something wrong with herself. And this comment thread at whether it was InfoWars or Prison Planet, it's the same property, I think. Um, They kept telling her, well, you need to paint your house, paint all your walls with leaded paint because that blocks the mind control rays. And just kept feeding, feeding her, her mental illness, feeding it and feeding it and feeding it. And you just, what can you do? You want to just reach out and grab this girl and say, we need to get you to a neurologist. We need to get you into a hospital and get you in front of a neurologist because your brain, there is something misfiring in your brain and we might be able to do something to, to, to help this. But no, there's no mind control beams. You know, there are not people from the government telling using mind control beams to tell the dog next door to tell you what to do. You understand this, this is all just a function of the fact that your brain isn't working properly right now, but of course, no. And so, like I said, a lot of these people who are, who are mentally ill, they have jobs. They're high, they're highly functioning or not highly functioning, but they're functioning in society. And so what that means is that they have credit cards and they have jobs and they have money and they have income. And they vote. And they they have a vote, yes, and they have a vote. And so specifically with regards to, you know, Jones and Prison Planet and those kinds of websites, 
they're making money off of that because those people are subscribing, donating, giving them money because they, the paranoid schizophrenics feel like they've, they've got, they're in a relationship with that, with that website. What's the other one that's just crazy? Um, what, I don't even know how you pronounce it, but I think it's R E N S E. Oh, Jeff Rents, yeah. Rent, Rents, yeah. Every once in a while, this this thing will pop up, and I I I think I was even linked on that a few times, you know, years ago. I always got the impression Jeff Rents is just pulling an elaborate long long con practical joke. Uh, I don't I don't think so. I think it's more nefarious than that. Well, I, I, and think, I think I think he it, is being serious, but but uh, I, I have seen articles on his website, and it's like he's kidding, right? Nope. It's, I always got the impression he, he's, he's, you know, there, there's a punchline missing that he's just pulling a, a prank here. It, it was never believable, but I can see how some people would believe it. Well, if you're, if you're a paranoid schizophrenic, you absolutely believe it. And then you take it to, you know, the power of 10. And that's the problem is that, I mean, how, how evil do you have to be to say, you know what, I want to capitalize and make, make millions of dollars off of mental illness, off of the mentally ill. That's, that's a market that I need to tap. And I'm not talking about in terms of pharmaceuticals. That's a completely different conversation. And believe me, that could be a, a very robust conversation about what's going on with um, what are being marketed as, as psychiatric drugs, many of which are, do far more harm than good. That's not what I'm talking about. That's a completely different conversation. I'm talking about people who sit down, look around and say, well, crap, there's, there's, millions of mentally ill but functional people in the in English speaking world um, I need to I need to capitalize on this I need to get it so that so that these people are are subscribing to this that or the other and buying my products and you know oh then I can start selling them um, you know snake oil crap a, a lot of the snake oil stuff that is the, sort of indirectly being marketed to people who are mentally ill in some capacity or another whether it be some form Form of hypochondria, you know, made up maladies or paranoid schizophrenics. Um, how, how evil is it for a person to to establish that as their business as their business model? And so there have been a couple of times, more than a couple of times over these past however many years it's been now, um, that since I've been taking donations, it's been, I don't know, four, something like that. But there there have been donations that have come across from names that I recognize from my email box as either being um, just spectacularly evil, um, meaning people sending me emails that are pornographic and so forth, um, or people that it's clear are mentally ill, that I can I recognize their name from my email box and I reverse I reverse the donation. I don't I don't want anything to do with that. I want you know, I can't control, I can't know the, the, the background of every single person of every donation that comes in, obviously. But if I do, if I do make the connection and I do see that a person who is clearly schizophrenic has given me money, um, and I'm aware of that, I think it's morally incumbent upon me to reverse that donation and not take the money. And on that uplifting theme, <laughs> this is just the first of our question and answer podcasts. Um, we, we haven't touched um, maybe a third, maybe a quarter of, of the, the questions coming in. There are a ton of questions we haven't gotten to. 
Uh, we mentioned the questions with regard to marriage and vocation related to you personally, but we got a bunch of them uh, related to that topic in general. Uh, what mm-hmm. advice you would give to other people? Questions about precious metals. Questions about uh, prophecy and end of times. Question about uh, news media. Not not what you listen to, but uh, fake news. What do you think of mm-hmm. President Trump? All kinds of interesting questions. There will be more um, more installments of of this series. Um, as well as uh, two more episodes just on one question alone, <laughs> or one yeah. theme, I should say. And, keep, I, you know, keep the questions keep the questions coming, because what Super Nerd and I intend to do um, is that we're calling them in the canisodes. So what we're going to do is when we have some spare time, Super Nerd will pick out three or four questions. We'll sit down, we'll record what we're going to call an in the canisode, meaning one of these ask in anything Q&A deals, we're, then we won't publish it right away. We'll hold them in reserve. So that way, if anything happens, Super Nerd is asked to, you know, take two, three weeks off or something happens and I can't, I'm not around for a while or whatever, we'll have these things ready to go. And so that way we, we can pretty much guarantee that, hey, we can we can get something uploaded every week, even if we're not able to do a, a specific in-the-moment podcast commenting on actual current events of that particular day, that particular week. We'll have these sitting sitting on the on the burner, nice and warm, ready to go. So keep the questions coming and we'll just kind of keep, trickling these things out as we go along and and it was interesting and it was fun i enjoyed this this is and i super nerd i told super nerd don't don't give me any heads up don't give me the questions in advance i trust your judgment and so this was completely extemporaneous for me so there you go yeah i didn't mention that from the top and didn't know what questions i was going to ask ahead of time but um i guess i tell that at the end of the show the only questions i've told her in advance is the one that will become a, a a uh, financial Friday on its own, but uh, we'll introduce it as such when that comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we can go into uh, the wrap up. All right, let's do it. Okay. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions, although don't send questions for the ask me anything or ask me anything, ask Ann anything. Um, you know what? Check the show notes on this. Um, but if you want to just send a general uh, email that goes to both me and and the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. If you want to send an, a, a question uh, that Ann does not see in advance, send it to me, email at supernerdmedia.com. Mass is for Ann's benefactors. If you're interested in hearing, uh, or if you are hearing this podcast right now, there was a, a mass offered for Ann's benefactors today. And, of course, there was a uh, Requiem Mass offered for everybody who died this past week. No need to sign up. No need to verify or be acknowledged that the, that uh, somebody had passed away and their intentions were remembered. It was for everybody who, who died this last week. Please, please, please remember these priests in your prayers. They are humans. Mm. They have to go to confession. They will answer for their sins in a manner in which we can't imagine. Uh, consecrated souls have so much responsibility before God. Please pray for them. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of Super Nerd Media. If you found something of value or humor in, in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com slash donate. This is for me. It's not for Anne. It's for keeping the website going and doing other things of, of technical nature. And I specifically want to thank Lenore, Teresa, Melissa, Joseph, JPF, Donald, Arthur, I, Ewa, Eva, I'm not sure how to pronounce that one, Charles, and somebody who is completely anonymous but wrapped their, their donation, they sent it into the P.O. box, 
and a um, unipo- unipolar binary operation test circuit printout page from a manual. <laughs> I was Googling trying to figure out what in the world is this. And I'm oh, enough. You I'm, nerds. I'm enough. Hey, I've been, li- I've been a licensed amateur radio operator for 28 years. So I'm looking at this, just geeking out on, on circuit diagrams. Like, Oh, what does this thing do? And I finally realized I have no idea what this does, but I, whoever sent that in, you, you sent me on a wild goose chase for about 45 minutes trying to figure out what this was. So <laughs> that was fun. Um, Matthew 1720. I'll let you talk about that one. Matthew 1720 initiative, full fasting twice a week. I'm doing Tuesdays and Fridays, but you know, whatever you can do. The way I phrase the intention is that anti-Pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified. That Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope all this time since 2005, whether he likes it or not, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and eventually achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger also repent of what he's done, die in a state of grace, and achieve the beatific vision. Um, And again, full fasting twice a week um, for this intention, and obviously praying every day. And um, also what I've kind of, you know, melded onto this is this Catholic Me Too thing that this continues to keep traction, continues to unfold. We're, we're watching history unfold here, folks. And I th- and these things are all kind of tied together. Um, um, so just anything, any prayers that you can lift up and offer for the church, the papacy, and that this all be resolved. Now, is it too hard to resolve this without supernatural intervention at this point? Might be. I don't know. But we have to keep trying and we have to keep praying. Um, and it's really interesting to watch all this happen. You know, you just you never know what the situation now is going to be from one week to the next, even one day to the next. So be edified. Things are happening. Wheels are turning. Um and in regards to this, all of these um, bishops and, and cardinals being a bunch of sodomites, I mean, this is, oh, boy, this, I'm happy. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm You're uh, happy vivified that they're being exposed. I, I'm happy that it's exposed. I'm edified and I'm vivified that all of this is happening and encouraged. Let, let it keep going. McCarrick is just the very, very, very beginning of this. This has to keep going. We have to keep praying. We have to keep fasting. So that's the Matthew 1720 intention, specifically about anti-Pope Bergoglio. But now if you want to graft onto this, the, the Catholic Me Too thing, feel free. I sure have. And if you've been on a full media fast since the last time you heard the Barnhart podcast, McCarrick is no longer in the, the Cardinal or is no longer in the College of Cardinals. That is correct. He uh, voluntarily offered his resignation, but we need, oh, like I said, he, he's just the very, 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 very beginning of this. So keep it going, folks. Keep it going. And of course, if you listen to the most previous podcast to this one, we had the uh, interview or, and, and had the interview with, with uh, Bay McFarland and we solicited questions for, for her as well. So there are questions in the queue for a follow-up conversation with her. So, you know, Send all questions um, for with regard to the for with regard to the interview with Bay. Those questions go to podcast at barnhart.biz. For the ask Anne, send them to me so that Anne doesn't see them in advance. It's email at supernerdmedia.com, and we'll produce a few more of these. 
absolutely. And I'm looking forward to it. And once again, my, my deepest, 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 deepest gratitude and thanks to all the listenership out there for your munificence and to you super nerd as always for your munificence with your, with your time in, in doing all this, it wouldn't happen without you. And I'm having fun geeking out and uh, still working on getting the email solution figured out. I'm 98% sure I know how I'm going to solve that. Thank you to those who emailed in and uh, gave me suggestions. It's unfortunately going to be Linux-based, I think. But <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. We, we actually had a podcast that we never released because it was, it was completely my fault. It was one of these things where um, kind of like the, the Bitcoin thing where uh, Ann, Ann and I start the conversation and she just turns it over to me and, and I get to riff for an hour, except that mm-hmm. I completely biffed on this one. It, it, it was an anti-Linux, well, anti-GPL uh, rant, and I realized uh, it's, it's not without merit completely, but not well thought out. So it was completely my fault. Um, there's, I think there's there should be a, a super nerd geek out show. I think you could have your own show. geeking out about the things that you geek out about and (laughs) you know develop and develop your your audience there you know i think that would be really cool i've been threatening to do another podcast for a while so at some point at some point yep okay well until next time i am super nerd and i'm Anne. thanks guys god bless